0: their environment is changing so rapidly and we don't know how climate change it's already impacting but how will it impact in the end and what will happen to the healthy populations will there be new emerging diseases with climate change will predators such as killer whales move further north and be more of a threat to belugas what about loud sound in the ocean and more you know, with less sea ice, there's more infringement and in encounters with, with humans.
1: Welcome to the Guy Who Knows a Guy podcast. I'm your host, Michael Whitehouse. Today I have the pleasure of interviewing Dr. Tracy Romano. Dr. Romano is the chief scientist of the Mystic Aquarium. And I personally know Dr. Romano because she recruited me into the Mystic Aquarium Toastmasters Club. We talk about her path to scientific discovery, the values she has found from Toastmasters in her life and career, and a bit about the exciting scientific work she is doing. So let's learn from Dr. Tracy Romano. So I am here today with Tracy Romano. She is the chief scientist of the Mystic Aquarium. How are you doing today, Tracy?
0: I'm great, Michael. How are you doing?
1: I am doing quite well. It's great to have you on the show, and of course, I know you from Toastmasters originally. Uh, that's how we connected. So, uh, of all my guests, you're you're one of the ones I, I probably know best and see most often. Very good. Uh, but so so your role you're the chief scientist of the Mystic Aquarium. What what does that mean to be the chief scientist?
0: It really means overseeing the entire research department at Mystic Aquarium research is has been part of our mission since we opened the doors back in 1973 and i'm really proud to say that it is still a foundation and a pillar of our mission at mystic aquarium right.
1: and so so how did you get to be chief scientist i i assume you did not come out of school and they said you you look good welcome to the chief scientist job
0: Well, let's see. I think it all started when I was in first grade, when I turned my basement, my playroom, into a science lab. So believe it or not, at a very, very young age, I had a fascination with nature and biology, and I did. I turned my, my toy room into a science lab. I had my chemistry set. I had my bird's nest collection, my shell collection. I would spend hours down there. Uh, by myself in the lab. As time went on in in college, I became fascinated with marine mammals and specifically dolphins and whales. And I really was curious about how intelligent they, they really are. And my advisor in college suggested that I get a broad background in neuroscience instead of going the marine biology route because it was really a specific focus on on the brain of dolphins and whales that I was interested in. So I was fortunate enough to gain some experience as a college student in the labs at the University of Rochester School of Medicine during the summers. I'm from Rochester, New York. So going home for the summer, I was able to work in a laboratory that studied how stress impacts The immune system and why when you get stressed out, you get sick. And so I was really fascinated with that as well. And when it came time to graduate college, my mentor in the lab said, why don't you apply to graduate school? And he said, here's a fellowship that's offered uh, through the Department of Defense And if you get this fellowship, it pays for your graduate school, it pays tuition, it even gives you a stipend. And I was really lucky because I I received that fellowship, but my main break was when the Navy wanted you to study in their research and development labs during the summers of graduate school, and I was reading all the different kinds of research that the Navy labs offer. Many things I just didn't understand, you know, the hydro, hydrodynamics and uh, propulsion of submarines and, and things like that. But then I saw a neurobiologist who studies dolphin cognition, behavior, and neuroanatomy. And I, I took a double take at it. And I was so excited because that's exactly what I wanted to do. So I, I called up Dr. Sam Ridgeway. And little did I know, I didn't know who Sam was, but it turns out he's the father of marine mammal medicine and and research. And I asked him if I could come study in his lab during the summers that, you know, I I have a fellowship and I would just come out and study. and, And he was in San Diego and he said, sure, come on, come on for the summer. And that was it for me. I, I, Spent all the summers of graduate school in San Diego studying with Dr. Ridgway, and he had dolphins, bottlenose dolphins, right there on site with the Navy. And I just learned so much. And of course, at the time I was ready to to leave graduate school and just go work there is what I wanted to do. But Dr. Ridgway said, you know, you're studying stress in the immune system, we really don't know a lot about the dolphin immune system. And so there I found my calling and took it back to the University of Rochester during, during my, the school year and talked to my committee and said, you know, we really have a gap in our understanding of how stress impacts the immune system of marine mammals. I'd really like to do my thesis investigating this. Well, you know, I'm surprised I didn't get laughed out of the room because here, here we are at a human medical school, but my committee knew that I had a passion for this and they were so supportive that they let me do it. So my thesis was on neural immune interactions in the beluga whale. Um, and, you know, after that, I was able to do a postdoc out in San Diego full time And I had my own lab at the Navy for a while. And then the the vice president of research or the director of research position opened up at Mystic Aquarium. And some colleagues of mine suggested that I apply for that position. And I had never really thought or dreamed of leaving the Navy. Uh, However, it was an opportunity to to really grow the research program and to study more marine animals and to really bring an educational component into the research, which is so important to educate people about marine animals and some of the stressors in the environment. And, and, so, um, and my family was from the East Coast, so it was a way to reconnect with family and, and friends that are on the other side of the country. So I, I took the job and, uh, 15 years later, I'm happy to say I'm still here at Mystic Aquarium now as the, as the chief scientist. And, um, it's, it's, it's been great to be able to lead a team that's focused in conservation, especially these days where conservation is so critically important and to learn all we can as well as to educate students of all ages about marine animals and their environments and, and conservation.
1: Well, that is a great story. And I, I knew you'd have great stories because we've been a toastmaster a couple of years together and I've You've told some of your stories, so that's why I was excited to have you on the show, because I, I knew you'd tell stories well. Um, and actually, speaking of Toastmasters, you've been in Toastmasters, I believe you said 20 years? Um, and talk a little bit about that and how that's uh, helped, helped uh, move yeah, your career you know, forward. You know,
0: yeah, Toastmasters has been instrumental in my career. In fact, I credit Toastmasters with me getting the job at Mystic Aquarium. Toastmasters really provides you with leadership and communication skills. And it's, it's even after 20 years, I find that if I don't practice communication and, and the, the basic skills of communication and leadership, I get rusty. But Toastmasters has really given me the confidence. I, I joined Toastmasters because when I was giving a scientific presentation and someone would ask me a question even though i knew the answer i would go blank and it would look like <laughs> yeah. i had no idea what i was talking about or the answers which which i should have known and a friend of mine said you know you need toastmasters that's all you need it really teaches you how to think on your feet and and that it it really has helped me a lot and it was really my toastmasters club in san diego that ask me job interview questions and listen to my presentation that really, really helped with the interview at Mystic Aquarium. Um, And then, you know, as time went on, I began to see all of our employees at the aquarium really, really wanting workshops in communication and leadership. And I thought, well, what about Toastmasters? Let's establish a Toastmasters club for our employees. And so I did that as as a project under Toastmasters. And then we've opened up Toastmasters to the entire mystic community. And, and that's been great. So we get to meet people like you, Michael, and hear all of your wonderful stories. And it's really learning from one another. And it's a fun, supportive environment where we just practice our communication and leadership skills and and grow and have a lot of fun at the same time. Mm-hmm. So I encourage anybody, please come be a guest. We're, we're meeting on Zoom right now, probably throughout the summer, but really find out what it's all about. It's a, it's a lot of fun.
1: And uh, so if somebody were to come to a Toastmasters meeting on the second or fourth Wednesday at 4.30 on Zoom, uh, what would they experience?
0: What would they experience? Uh, they would get to listen to some amazing speeches, and they would get to help evaluate those speeches. We actually have a formal evaluation process where we have evaluators for all the speeches that are done with in a most positive fashion. Uh, They would also get to participate in table topics, which is impromptu speaking, what I have trouble with, where someone will ask a question and you have to formulate a one to two minute speech to respond to the question. Um, But, you know, you can you can participate or you could just sit back and listen. We work on listening skills as well. You may volunteer to be the ah counter where you count ahs and ums and filler words with people speaking. Uh, so, so, uh, so that's something we also keep track of to really, you know, draw attention to those items in our speaking, which we may not be attuned to, but it really helps point it out and it just helps you get better. So we would love to have any guests find out and participate and just join in and see what our club is, is all about.
1: Well, thank you for joining me on that shameless, uh, this diversion to a shameless plug for Toastmasters. Because what's the point <laughs> of having a podcast if you can't promote organizations you love? Um,
0: and and and, and if I could interrupt, Michael, <laughs> the best part is it's at Mystic Aquarium, Even right? There. So when we're meeting in person, you can come to the aquarium and see the animals and and improve your communication and leadership skills at the same time.
1: It is true. We might be the only Toastmasters club where you can listen to a speech and glass, glance out the window and see a dinosaur at the same time. Exactly. Um, and so, so segueing back over to the aquarium. Um, so where does the, the funding come from for, for the re- of course research being important. I'm sure you have all the money you need, right?
0: <laughs> oh boy. It's always a struggle. So it's always a struggle for, for our research program. We're always writing grants and now grants are getting more and more competitive and harder to come by. But also we rely a lot on tickets, ticket sales. So people that come to the aquarium to visit and pay the ticket price, a lot of that money comes back to support our research and conservation initiatives. So it's, it's really important uh, that we're hopeful. We, we recently, just on Saturday, we just opened... Uh, the aquarium indoor as well as outdoor exhibits, and we're hoping people will come and visit. You know, we've taken a lot of measures to ensure safety for everyone, and I just hope people come back because by purchasing a ticket and visiting the aquarium, you're also supporting our important research program and conservation efforts.
1: I know sometimes people are concerned going back to recently reopened places because, you know, have they followed the right precautions, whatnot. I feel like a place like the aquarium, which has a cadre of scientists who work there, uh, might be a little bit more attuned to the science of keeping people safe than other places.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I, I will say the the aquarium has done a phenomenal job in taking those measures and those steps. And I know I feel very comfortable there and I'm, I'm sure other people will as well. And
1: so what is some of the, the scientific work that you're doing that that money is supporting?
0: Yeah. So we have a lot of exciting initi- initiatives, a lot of focus on beluga whales. So the, there is an endangered population of belugas in the United States, in Alaska, in Cook Inlet, right near, the, right near Anchorage. And these animals have been on the decline and they're just not recovering and no one really knows why. So what we're able to do is utilize, you know, working and training and, and working with the whales in our care, we're able to find out all kinds of information that help the wild population. And in addition, we also go out in the field in Alaska to study belugas in the field where we're working with other scientists to put satellite transmitters on whales to see where they go. But we're also taking all kinds of biological samples to look at their health and to see how well their immune system is working and to look at any disease exposure. So we're really trying to understand how different stressors, whether it be pollution or loud sound in the ocean or climate change, how are all these factors impacting the health of the whales? And, and so we can design different experiments. So, so to show you the transition from our animals to the wild, for example, we're studying the breath. So when whales surface, they exhale. And so we're collecting that exhale in a Petri dish, and we're able to look at all kinds of health measures in the exhale. And so we're looking at reproductive hormones. We're looking at thyroid hormones, those that regulate metabolism. We're looking at immune function. We're looking at all kinds of genes that are you uh, utilized in or that are turned on or off in health. And the goal is to then be able to collect breath from free-ranging belugas in the wild. And so if we could just get a breath sample, we can tell a lot about that that animal and hopefully the population as a whole, if we can get a number of, of breath samples. But that's just one example of what we're doing to, to really advance and learn as much as we can about the whale populations. Um, e- you know, even though belugas as a whole, I would say are thriving, the Arctic is ground zero for climate change. And so the, the environment, their environment, is changing so rapidly. And we don't know how climate change it's already impacting, but how will it impact in the end and what will happen to the healthy populations? Will there be new emerging diseases with climate change? Will predators such as killer whales move further north and be more of a threat to belugas? What about loud sound in the ocean and more, you know, with less sea ice, there's more infringement and encounters with with humans So we're really trying to do all we can to to help the wild populations and the and the clock is ticking. I mean, things are just moving at such a fast pace. And we we've seen the loss of so many endangered species. You know, the right here on our East Coast, the 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 right whale, for example, the North Atlantic right whale, and I think everybody's heard about the Vikita in in California, Mexico, so we're we don't want to lose <laughs> any more species, and so we try to learn as much as we can about the animals in our collection at the aquarium, and apply that to to wild animals, especially endangered species.
1: And so it seems like the the whales are particularly intelligent animals. I know at the aquarium they'll often interact, especially uh, I believe it's Juno is the the ham who will come out and open yes, out to people and judo. swim upside down yes. by them. And uh, so what have you learned about, you know, what, what causes that kind of, cause obviously it's not a natural adaptive behavior to be able to interact with humans through a sheet of glass. I assume they don't have a lot of sheets of glass in the wild.
0: Well, belugas are, are very social animals. Uh, and, you know, the, the animal trainer bond that occurs is so strong. So we have a dedicated husbandry staff that works with the animals on a daily basis and ensures their health, works with their behavior, trains them for research, trains them for their own medical care, and and works with them in enrichment, uh, in enriching an enriching environment, and, and stimulates uh, their, their activity and um, so, to me, uh, having those belugas want to interact at the window with the public, it it, I I guess I I I can see that I understand that. Uh, working with them, they are just very social, and they seem to really um, want that interaction
1: yeah I figure if they didn't if they didn't enjoy it, they would just go to another part of the tank and
0: exactly and they have that option, yeah, and they have that option, but they they choose to be right at the window and you know it's been difficult, especially for Juno when the aquarium was closed uh without seeing the people every day and i'm I'm really curious, you know throughout this we take monthly uh, blood samples on our animals, and I have data going back. With Juno pre and post, you know, shutdown, and it'll be interesting to see if anything in his physiology changes when we were shut down compared to when uh, the public was visiting.
1: Yeah, I, I know there's there's some people who object to you know animals in captivity, and they say they should be, they should be free. But it, it seems, I mean, from a labor perspective, it certainly seems like the whales are happy to be interacting with people. But I imagine since you're taking blood samples and other you know, cortisol levels or whatnot. Um, are, are you able to kind of determine what their state of mind is, so to speak, in, in that environment?
0: Yeah, exactly, Michael. So we're, we're me- we measure those hormones on a regular basis. And what we're doing is comparing them with animals, say, that are stranded or animals that have been exposed to sound or animals that have been captured And release to put a satellite transmitter on and by far when we take those measures the animals in the aquarium have the the lowest values so it's just a check to to show that um you know that their physiology is in in, is in check especially compared to those other scenarios where we see some of the wild animals
1: so so that's a, a scientific way of saying five stars would buy again Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, and now, are, are there applications to the the research on the belugas beyond just belugas?
0: Absolutely. So although we're specifically studying belugas because we have belugas in our care, a lot of the work that we're doing on belugas is beneficial or can be applied to study dolphins and whales and porpoises in general. So, We do a lot of uh, bottlenose dolphin work where we're working with others to look at wild bottlenose dolphin health. We're also, a lot of our immune system research has been applied to manatees. So we've been studying manatees. Uh, One of our scientists is studying the endangered African penguin and looking at hormones uh, at different times of year but also looking at their microbiome. What are are the microbes that we see in African penguins during the time that they're molting versus the time that they're not molting? So the molt is a very stressful event Mm -hmm. for for most animals. Mm -hmm. So we're just trying to validate some of the assays that we've been looking at. Um, And for example, in African penguins, measuring cortisol, you measured cortisol, or corticosterone in, in their poop, for example. Because one thing we can get from different colonies in Africa is we can go and collect guano or, or their poop and, and analyze that. And so ultimately what we'd like to be able to do is collect guano from different colonies in South Africa and, and look at some of the different stressors and see if there's one colony that perhaps is more stressed than the others. Uh, But of course, we we can only do that by validating and ground truthing all of the tests uh, that we have with the animals in our care. Um, So we're also studying seals and sea lions. Um, We participate in a health assessment of gray seals off the coast of Massachusetts, Muskegon Island and Monomoy Island, uh, where our collaborators from Tufts University are looking at influenza in seals. And we're studying the immune system and and their general health parameters in tandem with the disease data. So there are many different animals that we're studying. And again, uh, trying to utilize, um, you know, having these animals in our care gives us an advantage to really learn as much as we can about them, to be able to participate in the research and training. Of course, they don't do anything they don't want to do, but again, through positive behavioral reinforcement, um, they're, they're ambassadors and really helping for our knowledge of, those, of their counterparts in the wild. And importantly, the other thing is really educating. So educating the public on what's happening out there in the wild and What are we learning and why is it important, for example, to to preserve and conserve our oceans and and, you know, minimize plastics? And there are so many threats to their ecosystem. And so having the animals with us is an opportunity to to really engage and educate the people on our visitors on on why. Conservation is so important, and our research really matters.
1: Well, it sounds like you're doing some very important and good work there.
0: Yeah, we think so. We think so. And and hopefully everybody will come to the aquarium and and learn about it, Um, check out our website, and really, really get involved.
1: And and, and so people can pay on a one-off basis or they can become a member of the aquarium. Is that correct?
0: That is correct. Okay. Yep.
1: Yes. You know, my daughter's a little bit younger. We had a membership which allowed us to because she was, you know, 2, 3 years old. She had 20 minute attention span. So we could go, I think we were at one point going three times a week. Come in, Excellent. see the animals, get out. So, but you know, when it's a <laughs> all you can all you can visit pass, it works out really well with little kids like that for people who are-
0: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely.
1: Yep. Um and so we're coming to the end of our time. Are there any final uh final comments you'd like to share?
0: No, just that, you know, this is a really, really important time and everybody really, you know, I hope everybody will be inspired to to do their part to really help these animals in the wild. And, if, and, and you can really do a, a start by just coming to the aquarium, as I mentioned, and visiting us and Again, your your admission ticket goes to help support our research, conservation, and education efforts and really learn about the animals that you see at the aquarium, learn learn all about them and, and how important and vital they are to our ecosystem. And again, we, we don't want to lose any more species and we really want to protect our oceans. So I just invite everybody to come visit and um Work with us on this important endeavor.
1: And I imagine even if someone wasn't able to come visit right now, um, this would be a great time to buy a membership, right?
0: Absolutely. Yes. Because
1: that way they they can support the aquarium without, you know, if if they're immunocompromised or whatever the situation is, they can still support the aquarium that way. And then when they are comfortable, they can use their membership and come on out and visit.
0: Yes, absolutely. All
1: right. Well, thank you very much for being on the show, Tracy. It's been great to listen to all your stories and everything. And I uh, look forward to seeing you at the next Toastmasters meeting.
0: All right. Well, thank you so much, Michael. Thank you for the opportunity. And yes, I look forward to seeing you on Wednesday, tomorrow at 4.30. Oh,
1: yeah. Look at that. It is. <laughs> all right. See you then.
0: All right. Take care. Bye-bye.
1: Part of the work of producing a podcast episode is going back through and listening to various segments, especially to find that pull quote I use at the beginning. While I don't do a lot of editing in the interview itself, because I want to sound natural, I do usually clean up the pull quote just so it's punchy and interesting enough for you, the listener, to stick around long enough to reach my commentary here at the end. I was thinking, as I was preparing this episode, that I can really hear the hallmarks of Toastmasters in the fact that almost no editing was needed to tighten up the quote I used. Toastmasters help people to become more comfortable in speaking, and also helps us zero in on some of those particular areas of improvement, like filler words like um, ah, uh, er, and Mayor Quimby's era favorite era. Dr. Romano just achieved her Distinguished Toastmaster, or DTM, qualification, which is the highest award the Toastmasters offers, and is quite an achievement. If you're looking to improve your confidence while speaking, work on leadership skills, or just make life easier for the next podcast producer you come across, Toastmasters might benefit you. The Mystic Aquarium Toastmasters Club, of which I'm the Vice President for Public Relations, and of which Dr. Romano is one of the founders, meets every second and fourth Wednesday at 4.30. Presently we're meeting online due to the quarantine, so you can reach out to me for more information at michael at com. My daughter is a huge fan of the aquarium. Ever since the Octonauts got her into marine science, she's loved to visit the aquarium. There is nothing like seeing her going around from exhibit to exhibit, explaining to us what the various fish and sea animals were called, and a few fun facts about them. The Mystic Aquarium is a true treasure of Southeast Connecticut. With most of their revenues coming from ticket sales, the quarantine has hurt their revenues severely. If you are able, whether or not you plan to visit in the near future, I encourage you to get a membership for yourself and your family, again, if you are able. It's a direct way that you can show your support for science and support a wonderful institution in our community. You can get a family membership for $199 at www.mysticaquarium.org slash visit slash membership. And, of course, that address will be in the show notes. Our family is renewing our membership, and we hope you'll join us if you are able. If you have comments, questions, or feedback on the show, email michael at The Guy Who Knows a Guy podcast is produced and hosted by Michael Whitehouse. Our theme song is composed by Patrick Howard of Four Unicorns Design. Other music and sound effects are from Benjamin Harvey Design by way of freesound.org and bensound.org. Special thanks to Pat Helmers of Habanero Media for all the great advice he gave me on relaunching the show. Find me on the web at www.guywhonowsaguy.com. If you enjoyed this show, please subscribe to this podcast and leave a review. You can also follow me on Facebook at facebook.com slash guy And now on TikTok at a guy. Please share links to the show with friends you think would enjoy. This is Michael Whitehouse, the guy who knows the guy, reminding you that it's not what you know, it's who you know, and how much you're willing to help them.